Good evening and welcome to Unbreak Your Health, the podcast program about the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. I'm Alan Smith in Plano, Texas, author of Unbreak Your Health, the complete guide to complementary and alternative therapies. And today our topic is feng shui. And we have two spokespeople for the International Feng Shui Guild with us. Rosalie Prinzavalli is currently board chair of the guild. She's also served as New York City chapter assistant director and treasurer. Rosalie was trained and certified by the BTB Feng Shui Master's Training Program, where she is now a member of the faculty. Lori Bernstein is CEO of the Guild. She's studied and practiced Feng Shui for over 12 years and is one of the founding members of the Guild's Education Committee and the Heartland Chapter of the International Feng Shui Guild. The term Feng Shui comes from the words for wind and water, doesn't it? Correct. And how old is this practice? Generally, we hear anything from three to 5,000 years. That's absolutely true. The country of origin is what creates the dispute between how many years. There are many cultures that claim originating feng shui. And interestingly enough, all indigenous cultures practice the same practice, which is an understanding of earth energy and how to get our environments to support us, so how to work in harmony with those environments we live in. However, what the other cultures call it is, of course, quite different, as is the methodology. But the fascinating thing is that it is very much a similar practice. I was under the basic assumption that feng shui is based on the same concepts as acupuncture, that the life force qi, so that while acupuncture deals with qi inside the body, feng shui works with qi outside the body. Exactly. So the energy that surrounds you in your environment, whether that's your personal environment, as you're talking about from acupuncture, so your body, out to your living environment, then your landscape, and then the broader environment, the city or town you live in. And, you know, Alan, the reason it is based or similar to acupuncture is it's based on similar Chinese philosophy. What amazes me about the whole thing is they have a comprehensive way of looking at life. And many of the principles that practitioners of acupuncture study are also principles that we study in feng shui. And often I say to people, Feng shui is like the acupuncture of your space. Right. So it's a way of reading the energy pattern regardless of where that energy happens to be. Feng shui uses the five elements, doesn't it? Correct. Mm -hmm. So wood and fire, earth, metal, and water. And these actually correspond to organs in our body too, don't they? That's the connection with health. Some people think of the five elements as actual concrete physical elements, but they're really meant to be processes and how energy shifts over time. But the way we connect it with health is through the organs and the elements associated. Yeah, and I'm going to add a tiny bit to that. When Rosalie says oftentimes people think of the elements in concrete forms, where in feng shui we're talking more of the attributes that those elements have than we are water itself, metal itself. What are the attributes of those elements and then how do they apply in Chinese medicines? We're talking with acupuncture in your body and to your organs or in your environment. How do they relate to that space? There are actually different schools of feng shui, aren't they? Oh, many. (laughs) Many, many, many. (laughs) Almost as many as you can find masters Mm -hmm. that practice feng shui. And, you know, in ancient China, every region had its own master. And the feng shui was developed according to the needs of that particular environment. So, you know, I don't even know. I mean, there are probably hundreds of different schools. Yeah. Well, and now, even as feng shui has transitioned over time, so you begin with the the ancient history and the masters and move from culture to culture and country to country, 
And the practice of feng shui, which is why there are so many schools, has adapted and modified for the cultures and countries it's been in. So it's, it's actually it's a fascinating study in and of itself, really, this transition of feng shui over time, and it has always evolved, as Rosalie said, from the beginning to now. Are there major schools versus minor variations? or is it- Lori, why don't you, t- as education director, she can take this and fly with it and I'll sit and listen. <laughs> I'm going to respond to that in the sense that there are schools that have larger populations of students than other schools. So if we want to say major, meaning more participants, than minor, meaning less participants, there are primarily in terms of focus or perspectives of feng shui, I would say there are three fundamental foundational perspectives, and within those three fundamental perspectives, there are many, many diversifications, many different offshoots, if you will, and specialty focuses. So yes and no to your question. No, I don't believe there are major and minor players in that one is more significant than another. I believe that all perspectives, all schools are simply different facets of the same crystal, and that crystal is the unified world of feng shui, which we, as the International Feng Shui Guild, represent. What are some of the ways that feng shui affects our health? Well, if we just look at the home itself, one of the ways that the land that you're on can affect a person's health is because of the different energetics on the land itself. It could be the slope of the land. It could be whether there is water or not water, where the water might be. It could be related to the electromagnetics in the area. So that's the land. And similar to the home, you know, because it's how the chi is able to move or not move. So in a sense, we need to have an understanding of chi or energy. And, and that's, that's, pretty not, that's not too hard for people to understand. If the chi is flowing, then a person can maintain their health. That means the energy is flowing to all the organs of their body, everything's functioning properly. But if the chi starts to get clogged up, sort of like a, you know, logs in a river, if too many logs, the river stops, right? And that creates stagnation, that creates bacteria, that creates all sorts of problems in the area. If chi is rushing too fast, if it's forced through narrow, tight structures, it becomes too strong for the human body to withstand. On the other hand, when we're looking at the home and the land, there's also what we call as predecessor chi. What's the energy of the people who either lived in the space or create or lived on that land prior? You know, like everything else, Alan, a lot depends on how strong a person's chi is. Mm-hmm. Some people are never really affected by their surroundings because they're so solid, they're so centered, they're so aligned. Other people have more sensitivities to their environment and tend to be more reactive. They might end up responding to what we might not consider an auspicious situation much quicker than someone else. I'm gonna, can I elaborate a teeny bit on Absolutely. that? Yeah. So if you picture energy flowing through space like water or a stream or a brook, mm-hmm. there are often pockets within that flow that debris gathers. And you can reach your hand in and then swoosh the debris out and it clears for a time, but then as the water continues to flow, the debris regathers in that space. So structurally, within that brook or in the home, there's an imbalance that kind of attracts blockages to it. So there, to Rosalie's point, there are individuals whose physicality is not as strong, so they would be impacted perhaps more negatively by that blockage, 
where feng shui comes in is that, that we as professionals and practitioners are able to see where these inherent issues lay within a space and then use feng shui adjustments to remedy that so that instead of that space continually attracting debris, it flows free and clear. Are there any hospitals using feng shui at this point? Actually, in uh, Columbia Hospital in New York City, I'm not going to remember the what I want, the section of the hospital. Beth Israel, I think, Alex Stark, who is wonderful feng shui-based architect, um, designed the space, the feng shui principles, and was so involved. He literally each one of the treatment rooms, each one of the uh, patient rooms, so where they locate the equipment, where the bed is located, right all the way into the waiting rooms. It's it's, fast, it's fantastic. That's just one I know off the top of my head. There are actually more than that, but that happens to be a major hospital right near where Rosalie and I are located. (laughs) So we are making some progress getting them to utilize the basic concepts. I think people really are beginning to understand feng shui and to accept it. Certainly the larger corporations are aware of it because especially the multinational corporations that have division in Asia – they know that you can't possibly put up a building in Hong Kong or places like that without having a feng shui expert. And many of those corporations have continued practices here in this country. And the purpose of feng shui, in that regard, we're looking to create an optimal work and living environment. There's no downside to that. So in the sense of they're becoming more aware, absolutely, and if there's no downside, why wouldn't you? make that space more welcoming, more supportive, make it work with the environment that surrounds you. And in terms of health and healing, if that environment supports the work you as a doctor are doing, you can speed up the healing process exponentially. Listeners, if you're enjoying this podcast, then you'll love my new book, the second edition of How to Unbreak Your Health, is your map to the world of complementary and alternative therapies. It features a new user-friendly format and 339 new and updated listings in 150 different categories. And you can get it on Amazon.com or at your local bookstore. You know, there's one other thought I had when you were saying that, Lori. In feng shui and when we talk about qi and energy, we say that the qi that you're exposed to the most often and for the longest period of time, affects you the most, especially the bedroom and your bed because you're in a very receptive state. You know, you're reactive without knowing it to what's around you. And so we place a lot of emphasis on certain locations in the home, more importantly than others, because of the amount of time that we'll spend there. Well, how much more important is it than in the hospital where someone is going to be spending time, they're already in a weakened state, and they're attempting to recover? So it makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Even, you know, and even I would say uh, therapists, right? So they're working with someone's, let's call it headspace, right? right, to help them get healthier and stronger. And if that individual then goes back to a home environment that doesn't support the work they're doing, they slip back and digress. So the next time they see the doctor, there's a certain amount of rework that has to occur. If that home environment supported that therapeutic work, again, how much stronger and faster that individual would be able to heal because they would have a solid foundation to support that healing beneath them in all areas that they're inhabiting, from their therapist's office to their home to their bedroom, all layers. It's all all supportive layers. 
experience when you look at it that way. And, Alan, you know, you, you talk about health, but mental health has a huge impact on physical health also. What are some of the other basic concepts for using feng shui to design a healthier environment, either at home or at the office? One of the things that we do with the International Feng Shui Guild, like Lori said, we're an umbrella organization for all the schools of feng shui. And one of the things that the education committee did was look at the major principles that we all agree upon. And there are a couple all schools of feng shui agree upon. Right. There are some basic principles that we all follow, and one of them is how we position ourselves in the room. So one of the things I would say, if you asked me, you know, principal things in a bedroom, I would want my bed to be in what we call either the power or the command position. And that is being able to see the door, not being in line with the door, being able to see most of the room so that your nervous system can relax. We think of ourselves as very modern, you know, but we still have nervous systems that were developed when we were uh, hunter-gatherers. And somebody sneaking up behind us or coming up behind, we don't know they're there, it still sort of startles the nervous system. So in creating a sleeping environment, the most important thing for me is that that person in bed be able to relax and get a good night's sleep. And by being able to see the door, that accomplishes the same thing with the office because you spend a lot of time there. For me, the other thing I guess I would say is I would want to make sure that the person is sleeping without too many electromagnetic frequencies around them. Which leads me right into my next question is, what challenges do all of these modern technologies of microwaves and cell phones and other types of electromagnetic radiation present to feng shui today? We're very aware of it, and most feng shui practitioners will you know, counsel their clients about how close or far away to keep that uh, clock radio, depending upon what type of uh, electromagnetics coming out of it. Lori, did you want to say something? Yeah, there are some, when you talk about cell phones, so there's a, let's call it a golden grid of self-generated energy running around our world, right? There's nothing we can do about that. That's bigger than we are. But what Rosalie's referencing is that what we can address are the aspects of electromagnetic energy within our living environment. So anything from how close is the electrical transformer from your home or apartment to where is the head of your bed positioned in relation to an outlet and is the outlet being used. If it's being used for a digital clock radio, which has a very high output, then let's take that clock radio and put it on the other side of the room and get you a little remote (laughs) so you can turn it off when the alarm goes off from bed. And really, again, back to what Rosalie had said a a few moments ago about bedrooms being place of rest and rejuvenation and restoration. That being said, then there are things that shouldn't be in there, exercise equipment, computers, TVs. All of those things move us away from a solid, restful, and restorative experience. And if we're in relationship, it also adds a third party to the relationship, right? In that threesome, someone's going to be ignored. So there are what I think Rosalie and I would consider simple changes we can make that we can control. So there's a lot of new, actually green-based products that support the work that we do in our world of feng shui. It's an exciting thing. It's an exciting time for us. Which leads me right to another question. This is really one of the oldest green practices in the world if you consider, you know, working in harmony with the environment, isn't it? You know, I go so far as to say that feng shui is the oldest method and form of holistic healing, and that's healing through the environment. 
And in fact, we recently put up a section on our website on green living and design because we know we get a lot of people that come to visit our website for advice and tips and to see what you know, program our members are teaching or offering. And so we wanted them to begin to think about the connection because, you know, feng shui is green. I mean, it, it, it almost like it, it, you don't even need to say it. But because green is so popular these days, well, we wanted people to make the connection and understand how the two are linked together. I think my concern, and only slight in in the Western world, is that a lot of people often think of feng shui as moving furniture. You know, I'll get calls from clients that say, you know, I'm getting ready to paint my apartment, and I thought I'd call you in and have you do some feng shui so I can have the right colors. And, you know, my answer is, well, that's fine. I can help you with that, but really feng shui is much more than that, you know. Or they'll say, I'm rearranging my apartment. I want you to place the furniture. Okay, but it's much deeper than that. And I think that now that people understand the basic principles of feng shui and the concepts and the corporations are using it, I think now the feng shui practitioners that are out there in the world, I think it's our job to educate the public. How does one become a feng shui consultant? We recommend that a potential student of feng shui do their due diligence, research various schools, various perspectives to find which perspective resonates with their way of thinking, their way of viewing the world, if you will. And then through our website, there are many, many wonderful schools to research the actual schools, to speak with the teachers, and then choose a certification program that has the depth and degree of focus that will position them to be a professional in the field. And for the most part, that does require training, a certain amount of commitment like any other type of training or study. If someone wants to find a qualified feng shui consultant, where's the best place for them to start? Oh, for goodness sakes, the International Feng Shui Guild, ifsguild.org, <laughs> and go to the Find a Consultant for Consultants, and we have various levels of professional members, from our red ribbon professionals to our regular professionals to even students, and then you can also find a school there as well. In order to be a professional member of our organization, that individual must demonstrate an awareness and working knowledge of these topics in order to achieve professional level membership, and these gold schools meet and exceed training in those universal topics what that enables future students to do, kind of back to your other question, is to source their schools based on which schools will position them to be recognized as a professional in this industry. Rosalie, Lori, I'd like to thank both of you for taking the time to talk with me about Feng Shui this afternoon. Oh, our pleasure. Anyone wanting to learn more about Feng Shui should check out the organization's website at www.ifsguild.org. You've been listening to the podcast edition of Unbreak Your Health, discovering the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. I'll be back next week with another edition, but to learn more about our guests today, please visit the podcast page at www.unbreakyourhealth.com. We'd love to hear from you about this program. Please send your questions and comments to info at unbreakyourhealth.com. This program is a joint production of Unbreak Your Health and Loving Healing Press. Thank you for listening. I'm Alan Smith, and I look forward to being with you again soon.